Are you on the road to Emmaus? I never thought that the Lord would call me to preach, but He did, and so here I am. Coming to this part of uh, the ministry late in life, rather late in life, uh, I have had the opportunity to uh, learn from and serve under several really great preachers, pastors. Uh, I think of Milton Carr, Bob Kelly, Bob Taylor, Ken Polk. I'm so very thankful for these four men of God, the influence that they've had on me and my family. And I've had the opportunity to study uh, underneath them and learn from them. And uh, I think I might have heard this from one of them. If not, it's certainly appropriate. I, I've heard that one of the primary roles, or actually two primary roles of the preacher, pastor, are to, number one, comfort the afflicted. And number two, afflict the comfortable. Now kids, uh, you, may, you may not really be that familiar with the word afflict or affliction. It's the same root word, uh, affliction, afflict, and basically it means trouble. And so what the preacher is supposed to do is to comfort those who are in trouble. And if the people in the audience are comfortable, he's supposed to give them trouble. So comfort the afflicted, afflict the comfortable. If you're afflicted today, I pray that this message will bring comfort to you. If you're comfortable today, I pray that this message will bring affliction to you. So may I ask you, which one of, which, which one of those two are you? Are you comfortable today or are you afflicted? Father, thank you for a good day. To be in the house of the Lord, it is a good thing to be able to say, I was in the house of the Lord. I join with David in saying that. And I pray, Lord, that at the end of this time together, with, with my brothers and sisters, that uh, we will all be able to say, there was comfort for the afflicted and affliction for the comfortable, and it was good to be in the house of the Lord. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. We will start with verses 13 through 16. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 16. And let me just, uh, while you're turning in your Bibles, let me just say thank you to Brian and to JC and all those who are uh, in the back struggling uh, to, uh, to serve, and they serve well. And uh, every now and then a glitch rises up and, and grabs us, but it has nothing to do with them. I can assure you of that. I appreciate you, brothers. Thank you. Now, before I read this first focal passage, Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 16, I want you to listen for two things. I want you to listen for this phrase, that same day. That same day. That same day refers to Easter. Easter Sunday, the day when Jesus rose from the dead, conquered the grave, put sin to the sword. So when you hear that same day, remember this is Easter day, the day that Mary Magdalene saw him first, the day that um, John and Peter took a little run to the tomb, found it exactly as Mary said, empty. So this has been a busy day, but that same day. So be on the lookout 
for that phrase that same day. And I also want you to be on the lookout for the words about seven miles from Jerusalem. For the town of Emmaus was approximately seven miles from Jerusalem. A seven-mile trip or a hike in the mountains of Jerusalem and hills of Jerusalem would probably take anywhere from three to five hours. Now, if you're in Jerusalem, there's nowhere to go but down. So it's a downhill walk on the road to Emmaus. No one knows exactly where Emmaus was, uh, although if you go to the Holy Land, uh, there are places where people will say, this is it. Come buy, our, buy your trinkets and souvenirs here. Uh, and Rhonda and I had the opportunity to actually walk on the road that um, many people believe was the road to Emmaus, and uh, it was special. It was special to be there. It's, it was special to think that about no matter where the route was, Jesus took a walk with two of his disciples on that busy Resurrection Sunday. So here's the first focal passage, Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 16. Would you stand with me as I read the word of the Lord? Luke 24, verses 13 through 16. Hear the word of the Lord. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together, they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk with them, walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. This is the word of the Lord. You may, be, you may be seated. And then if you'll just follow right along there in your scriptures, the very next verse, Luke chapter 24, verse 17. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with, with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. So here is some comfort for those of you who are afflicted. Jesus knows. Jesus knew where his disciples were that day. He knew that they were walking on the road to Emmaus. He knew where they were. And I want you to know that Jesus knows where you are too. No matter where you are on your walk, you may be walking through the valley of the shadow of death. You may be in the green pastures. You may be beside the still water. It doesn't really matter where you're walking. Jesus knows. And that should bring you some comfort. Jesus knows where you are and he knows whether you're walking or if you stop walking because you're discouraged. Suppose you and I are walking and we're talking about all that has transpired to us here recently. Guess what? Jesus knows that we're on the walk. Jesus knows what we're talking about. Jesus knows if we're arguing. Jesus knows that we might be a little bit discouraged about this pandemic year and all that we've been through. Jesus knows that we're discouraged by the strife and the tragedy that has befallen our nation. Jesus knows about the national election. He does know all about that. He knows all about the controversy surrounding it. Jesus knows about the sorry state of affairs in our nation and how desperately we need him and revival. Did you know that recently USA Today, which is a newspaper, some of you may remember what a newspaper is, uh, young people, newspapers, <laughs> they were really cool for a while. And 
they would print those things up every night, and then children would ride by on their bicycles and throw them in your yard, and you could get the most up-to-date news. That's what a newspaper is. They're great for starting fires. I can testify to that. Thank you very much, Joel. So did you know that there is still a newspaper called USA Today, and it termed 2020, this is, to me, this is a little bit ironic, but they termed 2020 the worst year ever. That was it, worst year ever. Uh, And Leah, I don't know if you remember this, but when you and your parents were having supper with us in the Keller's one night we, this week, I, I said, I'm 61, and Leah, 2020 is by far the weirdest year of my life. And I guess I could say it's the worst year, I guess. And then all the adults at the dinner table were so comforting to Leah by assuring her that she would remember this year every year from now on. I don't, I'm not sure how much comfort we were. And in that same USA Today article that uh, classified 2020 as the worst year ever, a fellow by the name of Patrick Hardy, who is a certified risk manager, a certified emergency manager, he said this, in a sense, I'm quoting, in a sense, essentially, it's psychological overwhelm. You're being constantly bombarded with negative information, and it creates a sense of doom. Well, Christian, I just want you to know that Jesus knows what's in the USA Today. And he knows what you're being bombarded with. And he knows if you're feeling that sense of doom. And be advised, Jesus knows all about 2020. He knows how it's going to end. And be comforted, because Jesus knows all of this and more. Jesus knows what we're going through. He knows where we're walking. And he knows when we're confused. The scriptures say in Luke chapter 24... Verses 18 through 24, the one named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? What things, he asked them. So they said to him, the the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our, our chief priest, I love how Cleopas owns that, our chief priest, And leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. Do you sense the confusion of the disciples in this conversation that they're having with the unknown stranger? Do you sense the confusion that Cleopas and the other unnamed disciple is having? And isn't it special that the other disciple is unnamed? Could it be that Luke left off the name of that other disciple just so that we could more easily identify with him or her? Him or her? Maybe you're like me and you've always assumed that the two disciples on the road to Emmaus were two guys. And it could have been. We don't really know. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. 
Since Luke only identified Cleopas, we really don't know, maybe, but maybe this was a husband and wife team. And God likes to work with husband and wife teams. We have some amazing husband and wife teams in our church here, just like Aquila and Priscilla. But Cleopas and an unnamed disciple. We know from John 19 that there was a lady at the, at the foot of the cross as Jesus died who was married to Cleopas or Clopas as John recorded the name. One of the Marys at the foot of the cross just three days before as Jesus died. Maybe this is her. But can you sense the confusion in their conversation? Did you catch that the two disciples were actually arguing when Jesus joined them? Another good argument that this is a husband and wife team. For those of you who are married, you, it's okay to laugh there. Luke chapter 24 verse 15 says, And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. I just love the humor that Jesus just happens to show up in the middle of an argument. And in Luke chapter 24, verse 17, Jesus asked him, I mean, he's, he just names it. He specifically says, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? Now, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but Christians don't always get along. And sometimes serving the Lord is downright confusing. And here's some comfort for you. Jesus knows when you're confused. Why does the Lord allow us to be confused? I don't know. Why are we confused? Maybe he's testing us, as I mentioned in last week's message. Why are we confused? Maybe he's teaching us patience. Maybe he wants to get us to the place where we can say with David, Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not get involved with things too great or too wondrous for me. Instead, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like a weaned child. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forever. Psalm 131, one of my favorite psalms. A psalm I was privileged to share with my brother Phil Scalf just this week. Jesus knows who we are, where we are. He knows where, when we're going for a walk. He knows if we're in the middle of an argument. He knows who we're arguing with, what we're arguing about. He knows when we're confused and this should be a comfort. Jesus knows when we're discouraged. 2020 has been a tough year. Uh, the uh, USA Today article, to me, is a little bit ironic because worst year ever. There, there have been some pretty tough years, probably tougher than what we're currently enduring. I, I, I just can't help but think about the Civil War, 1861 through 1865. I, I have to think about Abraham Lincoln, who, who really was who grew up in the back sticks and very humble beginnings and rose to the heights of political power. Did you know that Abraham Lincoln suffered from severe depression? Depression and mental pain were his frequent companions. Did you know that Abraham Lincoln was the president when the nation split went through the Civil War, and then his son died, Willie. This is what Abraham Lincoln said. 
quote. When I left Springfield, Illinois, I asked the people to pray for me because I was not a Christian. When I buried my son, the severest trial of my life, I was not a Christian. But when I saw the graves of thousands and thousands of our soldiers, I then and there consecrated myself to Christ. I do love Jesus. You know, sometimes life's most painful tragedies can bring us to a deeper understanding of the Savior because it's all about understanding Him because He already understands you. And that should be comforting. And so when these two walked the road to Emmaus, they, they were confused and discouraged by all the things that had happened. But heartache has a way of pointing us to the Lord who has shared in our sufferings and could bring meaning to seemingly senseless pain. It is so comforting that Jesus knows where we are, what we're doing, who we're talking to, what we're arguing about. Jesus knows when we're confused. Jesus knows when we're discouraged. And it's also comforting to know that Jesus knows when we're foolish and slow to believe. Luke chapter 24, verse 25 through 70 said to them, How foolish you are! How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. What would it have been like to walk on that tutorial? Can you imagine walking with Jesus as he started in Genesis? Maybe he started with what happened in the garden right after Adam and Eve sinned and God came down and walked with Adam and Eve and promised them that the seed of Eve would crush the head of the serpent. Maybe he started there. Maybe he went to Exodus. I'll bet he did. Probably talked about the Passover lamb. The lamb that protected them, whose blood, whose shed blood was displayed so that the angel of death would pass over. Maybe he talked to them about Leviticus, where he is the high priest, or Numbers, where he is water in the desert, desert, or the serpent raised on the staff. Deuteronomy, where he became the curse for us. Joshua, commander of the Lord's army. Judges, our deliverer. Ruth, our kinsman redeemer. All the way through the Old Testament, beginning with Moses, and then going all the way through the prophets, would you not have loved to have been along on that walk? I sometimes think what it would be like to have a conversation with my grandpa, uh, my grandpa on my mother's side. Uh, we have a lot in common. Uh, we love to laugh. Um, a receding hairline. I get that from him, I think. Water gardens. Do you know that my grandpa was the first person that I ever saw actually build a water garden with a waterfall? And maybe that triggered something in me. But my grandpa died when I was just seven. And and sometimes when I'm working in the backyard, I sometimes think, what would it be like to talk to grandpa about what's going on here in this garden? That would be a fun conversation. But that conversation would pale in comparison to the conversation that Cleopas and the unnamed disciple were having with Jesus 
as he explained to them how it was necessary that the Messiah suffer. Did you know that you can have a conversation with Jesus? Yeah, we, we call that prayer and Bible reading. And so I do hope that this message has been comforting to the afflicted, and now it's time to afflict the comfortable. Jesus knows all about our troubles. But if you're a disciple of his, if he owns you, Jesus has some expectations from you. Number one, I would say that Jesus expects you to know those scriptures. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets has spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. We have a responsibility. Jesus expects us to know his word. That's why from this pulpit, from time to time, you will, you will hear topical sermons. But the vast majority of the time, you're going to hear the word of the Lord, verse by verse, as he gave it to us. We have a responsibility to study the scriptures. An explorer one time discovered a beautiful sundial of an ancient civilization. He, he found it. He knew that it had great worth. He cleaned it up, and then he presented it with great love and admiration to his favorite museum. They took it and put it inside. That's how we are with the Bible. We venerate it. We understand that it's God's word. We clean it up. We have nice leather-bound editions. But how often do we actually open it? Are we using it every day to live our lives by? Sometimes it's hard to understand the Bible. It was written a long time ago about people long dead in places far away for interest and relevance. It seems like Fox News or CNN seems to be more appropriate. And there are indeed obstacles to Bible study. But all those obstacles should not prevent us from recognizing that the Bible is really all about Jesus, and Jesus is not dead. Jesus is alive. The Bible is a living book about a living person who can change your life. Sundials only work when they're exposed to the sun, and the Bible only works when it's open. Jesus expects us to know the Scriptures, to study the Scriptures, and He does expect our eyes to be opened They came near the village where they were going and he gave the impression that he was going further. But they urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. Jesus expects you to have your eyes opened. And I cannot think of a better place to have your eyes opened than when you're reading his word or when you're studying his word with his people or when you are gathered together with fellow believers hearing that word of the Lord together. Jesus expects your eyes to be open and he expects you to spend time with fellow disciples. I love what they did next. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while we, he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us that very hours. Now remember, 
Emmaus is about a three to five hour walk, we estimate. We know this because it's seven miles. Three to five hour walk through the mountains from Jerusalem to Emmaus is downhill. But that very hour, they said, we got to be with God's people. we got to share the good news. There was a sense of urgency. They had to get back and share the good news with the other disciples about what had happened, what, how their hearts had burned within them as he expounded to them the scriptures. I'm very thankful for technology and that people who are with us in spirit can be with us even though they can't be with us in body. And so we're glad for them to join us any way they can. But I came across this Facebook post by a pastor by the name of Jeff McNeil, and I just wanted to share it with you. Church on the sofa will never be the same as church in the sanctuary. As church attendance numbers fade across the nation and online services become very convenient, and who doesn't love not getting up getting ready in the morning, leaving the home. It's important to remember why church attendance for you and your family matters so much. I'm kind of preaching to the choir because y'all are here. But remember this, you cannot serve from your sofa. You can't have community of faith on your sofa. You cannot experience the power of a room full of believers worshiping together in song on your sofa. Christians aren't consumers either. We are close contributors. I like it. I like producers too. We are contributors. We don't watch. We engage. We give. We sacrifice. We encourage. We do life together. Man, I wish I'd have written this. The church needs you. And you need the church. Jesus has one other expectation of you, and that is to share the good news of the gospel. Are you doing that? Are you inviting people to come to church? I promise you, they're going to hear the gospel if they come here. They will hear the gospel. So, those of you who are afflicted, I hope that the word brought you some comfort today. Those of you who are a little bit too comfortable... I hope I troubled you a little bit. Let's pray. Father, we take such great consolation, such great comfort from knowing that you know us. From knowing, Lord, that you know where we are, where we're walking, who we're talking to, who we're arguing with, who we're confused with, who we're discouraged with. We take such comfort, Lord, in knowing that you know us. And Lord, we take such comfort in that and we also recognize and realize that we have a responsibility. You have expectations of us to know your word, to know each other, and to tell the good news of the gospel. Lord, help us to meet up to your expectations, because we know that not only do you expect these things from us, but that you will inspect these things in our lives as well. You are the ultimate fruit inspector, and we are responsible to you, the great gardener. Lord, I pray that you would bless us now in this time of invitation, and that we would do according to your will, whatever you ask. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.